Welcome to the Go All In Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Russ, and I'm proud to be bringing you these stories of everyday heroes from Sydney, Australia. Today on the show, our guest is Scott Epp from Abundance Coaching. As you'll hear in the interview, Scott has been kind enough to give you, the listener, a copy of his book, which is called Awaken the Wild Lion Within. Now, I love this title because it's a metaphor for so many things in life, and it's perfectly aligned to the go-all-in mindset that we discuss on this podcast. Let me explain a little. Everyone has something that's creative inside of us, or you've had something like that at some point in your life, and you're wanting that to come out, but sometimes it's really hard to get it out. Maybe you're a writer and you want to tell a story. Maybe you're a photographer and you want to create the most beautiful images anybody has ever seen, or maybe it's something that you've just never shared with anybody before, but you want to bring that out. The point is that each and every one of us has a burning passion and a desire to bring something that is hidden within us out. I guess that's just part of the human condition that we all experience. And that thing, that thing is the lion that is just waiting to be awakened. And when the time comes to awaken that lion, you're going to need to go all in to make the most of it. See where it comes together? Am I joining the dots for you? Kind of cool, right? Now, Scott is an expert at helping people to awaken the wild lion within, and he'll help you to really understand your core values and live a life that's not only true to yourself, but one of absolute abundance. I'm excited he's here, so please help me in welcoming Scott Epp. Well, good day, Scott. Welcome to the Go In Podcast. It's great to have you here, mate. Hey, it's great to see you, buddy. All right, man. Uh, before we get into the, the go-all-in mindset and the Canadian slash Australian yeah. world, I like to kick off all these shows with a quick little get-to-know-you quiz. It's in no particular order. It's pretty random, a little bit of fun. Just tell me the first thing that comes to mind when I ask you the questions. You good to go? You bet, Rob. Awesome. Go for it. All right, man. You do a lot of coaching and a lot of training and speaking. Do you prefer training people in bigger groups or do you prefer the one-on-one stuff? That's such a good question. I'd have to say both, but if I had to go with one, I I really love getting in front of people and just seeing the eyes light up when you're in front of a big group. And there's there's nothing like knowing that you're stepping on stage and there's going to be judgments because they may not know you. They may not know your story. And they're, of course, sitting in their seats thinking, okay, well, I better get something good out of this. And I love the thrive that happens inside of me to say, okay, you know, my goal is to connect with these people and to deliver something that they're going to hopefully take away and just uh, have to build to their toolbox or just enlighten them on their path. So I love both. I have to bend towards the training groups. Very nice. Well said. Well said. What about when you, when you get up on stage, because inevitably it happens to all speakers, maybe not as you get more experience, but certainly when you started your speaking career, What happened when you could see that you weren't really connecting with the audience? How do you adjust? What do you do? Oh, it's crazy. You know, my favorite go-to, and I've been in Toastmasters for a lot of years, so 12 years in Toastmasters back when I lived in Canada, taught me a lot of things. And one of the key components that I learned in one of the sessions was to pick on somebody that you see that does get what you're saying and draw from their energy. So I've continued to use that strategy. I remember one time I was at a mind-body-spirit festival and yeah, the, maybe it was the topic. It was a lot of years ago. I've grown since, but maybe it was the topic or something. But a lot of the people it just didn't feel like they're energetically, they were catching what I was delivering. But there was this one lady that was nodding to everything and smiling. And when I needed to, I just like, I, I went back to her and yeah, I, I felt like 
things turned around quite nicely as well. And I think every speaker needs to have some strategies because it's going to be that way. I said it earlier, people, I, I expect that people have a judgment on you before you walk on stage. I'm sure you do too. Mm. And I'm cool with that. I think that's great. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's part of it. If you're going to go put yourself out there and, and be a speaker, that's definitely part of it. One of the questions that I've got, got here in front of me is, I kind of got to go the, the long way around to get to the question just because of yeah, what it is. One of, the, one of the biggest phobias that people have is public speaking. You know, I think people are, if you ask them, they're probably more scared of public speaking than they are of spiders for heaven's sake. Yeah. Uh, what, were you scared of it when you first started? How did you overcome all of that? I personally, I think that I have a different past than a lot of people. When I was 13 years old, my parents were in Amway. And I saw my dad speak on those stages. I don't know if people in the audience know Amway too much, but back in the 80s, 90s, when I was growing up anyway, it was massive in Canada, like Mm -hmm. huge. We'd go to Denver and we'd go to Vancouver, Edmonton, all these different cities and the stages were there. And some of my dad's upline were those people that everybody wanted to crowd around. So I was around the public speaking aspect of things for a lot of years. So I think that my experience has probably helped me in some of those ways. But at the same time, I get nervous every time (laughs) that I speak. So when I hear people say, oh, well, you know, it's like, you don't look nervous. Yeah, yeah, I have nerves. I think that you should have nerves because it's important. You're going there and usually when you're going there, whether or not you got, you're getting paid, but there's an objective that the person who has asked you to speak that they have. And if I can go towards meeting that that objective and know that that's there and there's going to be some humility and personality that I have to bring to the stage as well. That, that's just a huge part of it. But you're right. It's it's a huge phobia for so many people. I remember Toastmasters. Have you, have you been? Yes, I have. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good. So you know some of the people that, that are just, they're wanting to come in and they're they're nervous, those first speeches, right? And you can see their hands are trembling. Well, I was, I was like that at the beginning too. Mm. And I do think that it's important to do something like Toastmasters and get your, get your feet wet, if, especially if this is your career of choice. It can definitely be overcome. I, I like to ask that question of speakers because generally the person that I'm talking to on the other end of a microphone is a pretty accomplished person. They've been doing it for a while. They've been on stage. They've traveled internationally to be able to do that. And I know, I do know, I do get a little bit of feedback every now and then from this podcast that people are like, yeah, I want to be a speaker too, but my God, going all in on something like that is, is so hard. But like anything in life, you can learn it and you can be trained to do that. And Toastmasters is a natural natural place to do that, right? Yeah, it's so beneficial. It's, it's great for leadership as well, as you know. Mm. So a lot of people think, oh, okay, I'll just hone in on my speaking skills. But what you'll find is that the curriculum is very leadership orientated as well. So yeah, I didn't know that we'd be, we'd be out here promoting Toastmasters for everybody today, but <laughs> they might like that. <laughs> well, you know, in, in the world, in the modern world of all the digital media that we have and the distraction we have of social and our phones and stuff like that, I'm not entirely convinced that a lot of younger people know about Toastmasters or what it is. Sure. They might have heard of it before, but hey, if you've never heard of that and you're interested in public speaking or honing your skill set, check it out. Just Google it and check that out because it's a really important an important part of our society is what I It say. sure is. Yes. Shifting gears, mate, if, if you're a public speaker, do you spend much time writing? Do you like writing? I love speech writing. Oh, you do? I, I, have, a, I, I, have, I have a training, a course 
about writing winning speeches. So, mm-hmm. you know, just a, a little thing on, on Toastmasters again is uh, one, of the, one of the privileges I had was uh, I got to speak on the highest level with, with the humorous speech side of things. So uh, people that know about Toastmasters, uh, there's different levels. You have to win at a level. You actually only the, the one person in the competition wins. You don't, they don't take first and second. So then if you win that, you continue on and on and on until you're finally at the finals. So in order to do that, what I had to do is I took one speech and I rewrote it every single time that I spoke. And I spent hours, I probably, I probably practiced this speech 200 times with different variations. And when it came to the finals, I didn't win. I was a finalist. They only let you know the first three. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I was so proud of myself with how I honed it in because there's a certain craft, isn't there, to writing speeches. There is. And I find, I don't know about you, Rob, but seven and a half minute speech is harder to write than a two hour speech. Yeah, it's a, it's a different skill set, right? Where you, you know, I write a lot of articles and, and for business and for my business in particular. And when I have to write an introduction to a podcast, for instance, something as simple as that, sometimes it takes more effort than it does to write a 2,000 word article for, for my blog or for my website or something like that. And that's because the spoken word and the way that you deliver the message is always different to the way that the, the written word and the way that you read it is. At least that's my, my kind of take on it. And it's a, it's a really important skill set to develop, I believe. And, and it, you know, it's a leadership skill set. And it's a great, something, once you've developed it and you, you take the time to learn something like that, um, it sticks with you. You mentioned that you have a course on speech writing. That, that's yeah. Cool. yeah, it's fun. Yeah, we have a number of different courses that we offer through our corporate training brand. So, mm-hmm. yeah, one of them's on speech writing, one of them's on, on presentation skills, so being a proficient speaker. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, people are, it, sometimes it's just a matter of, of honing in some of those skills. Company will inquire about just uh, getting getting somebody to lead a course on just speech writing or presentation skills and everything from body language to how do you open a speech and things like that. Very nice. Very nice. Well, I'll make sure uh, that those links are included to the show notes of this episode. So if you're listening to the show on your phone, just peek at the show notes and you will see the links to Scott's website and to his speech writing course and to that presentation course right there as well. So you don't have to go digging too far for it. Mate, you live in Maroubra in Sydney. And for the people that are listening that don't know that, Maroubra is a, a beachside suburb sure in this is. wonderful place that we call home here in Australia. Can you surf, mate? Because they have some good surfing. <laughs> I love surfing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, here's the Canadian asking asking the the guy who learned five years ago well 10 years ago i learned how to surf Mm -hmm. so if you took me out surfing i don't know if you'd say yes you could surf but (laughs) (laughs) does getting up on a surfboard count yes yes (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely it's uh it's fun like well i think i just think we're so spoiled here in australia like right on the coast with so many different beaches and whatnot but uh, not a lot of people capitalize on it. That's why I ask it. What about your kids? You get your kids out there as well? Oh, they love it. So my kids are a little bit on the, well, they're on the young-ish side, right? We were talking about children just uh, earlier before the call. And I have a 10-year-old now, a nine, almost nine, coming up to nine-year-old, and then a five-year-old. So right now it's all about the snorkeling, scuba diving. They love to go to the Marubra Rock Pool. People don't know where that is. It is awesome for kids mm-hmm. and there's tons of fish in there i find so i'll put on the the scuba gear as well so we'll get out there for a good dive certainly uh, the paddle boards are, are a big hit as well so yeah we love to get out into the ocean as much as we can 
Very nice. I'm going to ask the opposite side of the question as the Canadian. Did you did you grow up playing ice hockey? Of course. Of yes. Course. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't remember learning how to skate. Right. So I I just grew up with skates on my feet. Uh, I grew up in a town of 300 people, so I I oh, think wow. it's fascinating looking back. And my parents had eight kids, so. Yeah, when my parents finally moved out of the town, we took a percentage of the population <laughs> with us. <laughs> but growing up in, in that small of a town, there was an ice rink. Mm. So you think, you know, in all of Sydney, I'm very astounded that there's only a handful of ice rinks. There's two or three, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but yeah, I, I played hockey. I, I even tried out for a college team. Didn't I was cut, but yeah, I was a goaltender. So I was one of those crazy, I'm still crazy, but they always say goaltenders are crazy because they get in front of those fast slap shots. So <laughs> yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Voluntarily. And back then they didn't have as good of equipment. So I, I would come home with bruises and all kinds of things. Yeah. It's a, it's a different, very, very different type of sport to what we're, that I grew up with here in Australia, you know, with the rugby league, rugby union, AFL and cricket, like the type of contact sport that you guys play is like different and you're on skates and it's like, you know, it's just completely different. So it's fascinating yeah. to me that you kind of grow up with that and, and um, skating is just like riding a bike to you guys uh, in, in that part of the world, right? I know, mate, if, if I could just like put myself like, I'll take the, the, I'll put the humble hat back on just in a moment. But I, I had this awesome encounter at the ice zoo here in Alexandra. And uh, it was at the end of the day, I brought my boys out skating. And of course, I'm helping them along because they have those little penguins, you know, five-year-olds and stuff. So, and I'm doing this. And all of a sudden, they give the, the horn, things are done, you know, pack your kids up. And I'm like, no way. I didn't even go for a skate yet, right? <laughs> so I pushed, I pushed Malachi, our youngest, into my wife and says, here, take him. And I just did three quick laps, right? <laughs> and some guy, some guy later on said, oh, I saw you doing that. I was just mesmerized. I'm like, yeah, it was nothing. Like any Canadian really could do it. But it, yeah, I thought that that was pretty neat. <laughs> yeah, it's fascinating to, to Aussies, right? Because it's just not where we come from or what we do. Because yeah. you, you don't have to shovel the sunshine here. It doesn't really snow very much. Exactly. Not it's true. Company. Yeah. What, what do you, besides your friends and your family, what do you miss most about Canada that a, that a dinky die Aussie like me wouldn't know about? Yeah, well, you know, I grew up in a different part of Canada than a lot of people might have grown up in. Because I grew up on the farm, and my parents now live way up north in Saskatchewan. They almost live at the most remote place. It's called Dory Lake. It's literally a lake where it's 20 miles across. I miss Dory Lake and being up there with my family. And what we grew up with really was snowmobiling, trails, outdoors, every kind of adventure sport outdoors. Mm -hmm. Uh, My brothers all, like we all had snowmobiles growing up, but they even to this day go to the mountains and, and drive up to the top. I would love to just be transported, you know, during a winter season and just go snowmobiling and hang out with my brothers or, or just do something like that. It's And then you have a little campfire where you go out, you're wearing this huge bundles of clothes. Doesn't this sound like fun? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, love, I love the outdoors. And, and I was going to say to you that I, I looked up where you were from on the map and I looked out on the map and chose me and then I zoom into the satellite and I see it and I go, and then I Googled a couple of different places around there and I was struck by the beauty of it. It's a, just a stunning, oh, thanks, stunning place. It's a beautiful place. Have you spent much time in the Australian bush or in the Australian outback? Because it's oh, like the polar opposite of that. Yeah, love it. Well, that's part of the, the theme even, like the wild line within. So yeah. you got to get out in the wild. 
And part of the part of the aspect of every country, I believe, is that there's going to be places where God's beauty's around. And mm-hmm. I just love to appreciate the the beach is fantastic, but going out inland is fantastic. And one of the great things that I love doing is camping. So that that's big here, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, even places like Glenworth Valley, the, there's different trails and things that you can go and find. And yeah, Nina Wiener was cool. Just different places that that are just off those beaten tracks. And to see the wallabies in nature and things, is isn't that awesome? Yeah, it's very nice. It's nice to hear your perception of it as well as the Canadian from just an incredible part of the world as well. And, and we've just got a, a very different version of that, but it's still pretty amazing in its own right. Recently, I was lucky enough to head out to Uluru. And I don't wow. know if you've ever been out there and you go there and there's a resort and then there's the there's the rock and you go and do your thing at the rock but one of the most amazing parts of the whole trip believe it or not was the flight back because it's not that far the, the planes didn't seem to go up to altitude as they would normally would on a lot like on a long flight something like a three-hour flight back so you're only at about thirty thousand feet and as you look out the window it looks like well, I don't know, I've never been to Mars, but it looks like Mars for about <laughs> two and a half hours and the ever-changing landscape of the desert like that. And as you're looking out at altitude and you're kind of, you're up above all of the haze in the air. It's just what an incredible landscape that is. So if you ever get the opportunity to do that, make sure you, you jump on a plane and head out there as well because that's pretty incredible. That's def- it's definitely on my list. In fact, my sister-in-law and brother-in-law and their, their kids are there right now. And there's nothing else to do out there except to visit Uluru. But, you know, the really cool thing is you, is you can go and visit Uluru in many different ways. You can do it on a Segway. You can do it on a Harley. You can do it on a camel. You can do it on a bike. You can walk there. You can drive there. You can catch the bus there. It's like you can even skydive there. It's like what yeah. the hell, so many things to do at Uluru. Take a helicopter trip and look at it. <laughs> Why not? That's Lovely great. Everybody. It's kind of uh, it's kind of cool. It's not a place that was ever really on my bucket list, only because I'm kind of like, yeah, I've seen the photos. Yeah, it's an amazing place. And yeah, it's yeah. Like whatever. I was, but I had to go there for work. And I'm glad that I did. So if it's kind of teetering on the edges of your bucket list, get it on there because it's really Yeah, totally. Well, I think what, what I love about what you're sharing is, and I think that your audience, that's why they love you and watch, love watching and listening to your podcast is because you have so much exuberance <laughs> for nature and the outdoors. And I've seen some of your episodes and that's something that just is communicated. I think that there's something special about awe mm. because people can get caught up in the, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, yeah. I've been there. Yeah. And even when they are there, they don't stop to catch the awe mm. of what's around. And, you know, I heard it said one time, somebody, somebody even came to, to Sydney and they were like, oh, yeah, that's cool. And I was like, I get it. But you go to the opera house and you stop and you see like the awe of the place that we get to live in. Yeah. It's freaking amazing. It is. I think. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. And, and I, I would echo that. There's not a, literally not a day that, you know, you hear all of these people practicing gratitude and yeah. you know, I write it in my gratitude journal and I do this and it's all fluffy and like, oh my God, you know, what do I do with all of that sort of thing? I, I realize that I do that as well, but without realizing because I live in such a stunning part of the world and every now and then I'm, I just kind of stop and you know, there's been times I've been out on my paddleboard out here in Cronulla on, on Bait Bay and I'd be like two or three kilometers out right in the middle of the bay and yeah. I would look down and just, I'd look, is that a penguin? Can you just see a penguin? And you'd look around and it's like, there's no one else to say, hey man, did you see the penguin in the water? <laughs> and there's penguins 
little fairy penguins that live in the national park fishing right in front of where I am. And you just got to pinch yourself sometimes and just the wildlife that's out there. And it's just, you can see, like if I, if I was standing on the shore and you could see where I was, you can, you would be able to see me just a little, albeit a speck on the horizon, but the, the nature that is there, the, the dolphins, the sharks, the whales, the, the, the bloody penguins of all things uh, and the turtles, it's just incredible. And, and I, you know, it's that, that kind of in some ways is a practice of gratitude for me where I, every now and then I'm kind of like, wow, I'm just so lucky to be able to live here and experience that. So, you know, this is maybe a, a podcast, a plug of Australia a little bit, but if you yeah. listen, it really is true. So true. That's awesome. Where's the where, where's those uh, ambassador little badges that you can put on? I heard that Chris Hemsworth has one, right? So may, maybe you could chat up with him and see if you could get one as well. Yeah, that's right. Get him on next week. Yeah, that's right. Easy, easy. All right, last uh, last serious business question for the, uh, the the quiz. Thank you for sharing all that with us and your views of it. It's really fun. What's the what's the best piece of business advice that you've ever been given, Scott? That's great. You know what? I probably would say um, one of my dad's mentor in Amway gave me some great business advice. And he always loved talking about stinking thinking. And it was the first person that I, I know that it's a, a slogan or cliche now, but, but when I was like 13 years old, he would talk about stinking thinking and how you wanted to like get out of that and get into having a positive mindset. And he'd always talk about positive thinking versus stinking thinking. And there's different ways to look at it. I like the term abundance mindset versus scarcity mindset. Mm-hmm. Abundance coaching being our business. But when you, when you think about that term stinking thinking, you just like have this, this yuckiness that, that kind of like comes across it, right? Mm. And you don't want to have that. But we all get into that trap, don't we? Of starting to get to that place of just, ooh, and it's easy to jump on bandwagons with other people that are in that boat as well, isn't it? Yeah. And we, we can even get allured. It's like, ooh, I'm curious to hear. It's like, oh, what else did you say? Oh, man, I did it again. Mm-hmm. So I realized that, that it's, um, it, it's a humanity thing to be interested in the, the car crash. But I wonder if, if we could be on that path and to revert from – the the steps that we would take consciously to kill off that stinking thinking because it's literally been one of the most important things in my life is to look at changing my thought patterns and my thoughts and beliefs to more abundant beliefs yeah that's beautiful beautiful advice and i think it goes to the heart of of mindfulness and being attentive to what you're actually thinking about something and if you find yourself in that negative side of things, well, you know, that's thinking, thinking right there, isn't it? Uh, it really stands out straight away. I like it. I'm going to, I'm going to borrow it. Do you mind if I borrow it? Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's been borrowed a few million times already, but that's, <laughs> that's the great thing about it, right? It's the you great know? thing about this podcast. I get all these awesome bits of business advice that I write down in front of me and don't. That's good. I better get, get going with that stinking thinking and sort that out. Come on. <laughs> Next time. Sometimes we need those like weird words, right? Like negative thinking. That's too blah, bland. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You need just, like stinking thinking, right? Like very big, hairy, audacious goals, not just big goals. Not just big goals. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Beautiful. All right, mate. Well, thanks again for 
sharing a little bit of your uh, your insights into the world and, and letting us get to know you a little bit. It's a lot of fun to do that. And I know that helps us to kind of set the frame for what we're about to ask. And look, people come on over to the Go All In podcast to learn more about others that have gone all in, Scott. So if you could, mate, could you please share with us and with the audience your biggest Go All In story or stories and the lessons that you've learned from your commitment to success? Thank you so much. Well, you know, uh, just in your little questionnaire, you asked that question and I, and I stopped myself to say, okay, well, what is it that I would say was the biggest go all in aspect of, of life? And I think that really the go all in biggest aspect of, of my life and in business is taking the journey from Canada to Australia, really, because the, to set the stage just a little bit, I became a coach or I was introduced to the idea of becoming a coach in 2006 when I was courting my wife. She lived in Toronto. She's Australian and I lived in Saskatchewan and she said, Hey Scott, you would be a great coach. And I had no idea what that was. What's a life coach. I said, and she said, well, I think that I could tell you. And she described one of her friends who lived in Toronto. Toronto was a more happening place. So they had life coaches but in Saskatchewan, there wasn't, if you Googled the term, you wouldn't have a Saskatchewan life coach. So that was pretty weird for me. And, but I liked the concept. I liked the idea. And once I became a coach shortly after, took the whole ICA program, et cetera, I built the business up and things were rocking and rolling. And I was getting contracts with mining companies and banks and things like that to do training outside. And I told you I was in Toastmasters. So I do some public speaking and and things were going good. We'd already formed a family at that time. And Rob, may, you, you know what it's like having, having the kids and how that changes your life in a good way, but it's also very all-encompassing. Yeah. Your, your lifestyle changes. It has to. Yeah. So we had two little boys, and a third was on the way, and Nicole was getting homesick. And in fact, on the second child, she got something called SAD, and, and people might not know what that is. It's seasonal affective disorder, and, and it's basically just going through a level of depression from lack of sunlight and being caught indoors a lot. And as we all know, the sun is important for our, our body, and when you're in uh, low light and also very small, short days, being uh, shortened days... Uh, when Nicole had Nehemiah in February, which is like the the middle of winter, uh, she just wasn't outdoors. And there were some things that were happening in her uh, psychology as well that, that were affecting. And then now that the third baby was coming up, I think that that combined with missing home, missing her parents, missing particularly her mom mm. in raising the child uh, was really um, on our hearts. It was on my heart too, but certainly it was on her heart as like, I want to champion this move here. How can we get it done, Scott? <laughs> so backstory is that I actually bought and sold. I used to buy and sell houses and also was doing the coaching business. And for a period, I was also doing some sales. So, but I, I had this now really flourishing on the upward moving business. Abundance coaching was growing and now we're going to move. So I had these like, I think for me anyway, these like heart tension kind of things. Like, what am I supposed to do? But I knew the right thing. And uh, one day, I'm, I'm a Christian, so I believe in God. And I believe that he speaks to me. One day I was in the shower and, and I, I felt like what was the closest thing. People here talk about this audible voice of God, right? I, to me, this is the closest thing to what I could say is an audible voice. And it was two words. It's time. I knew what it's time meant. <laughs> yeah. Didn't need to like get a clarifier from God. 
So it, it was Tom. And we made that move. We made that decision. And moving to Australia, I think that, that where this is an important story for others is that sometimes you have these ideas of what you're going to do as soon as you land somewhere new. So if anybody's on that journey path, I know that there's a lot of immigrants and people are moving around and partly family reasons. I thought that I would just start the business up again. Everything would be rolling and I'd be sweet. <laughs> well, that's the idea, right? That's the, that's the intention. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise, but yeah, I'm sure yeah. it didn't play out like that, right? I was, I'm a mover, right? I, I make things happen. Yeah. You know, I got to go for it. Yeah. So we did. We did the whole move and very expensive move, all that stuff. Had a house still at home. It didn't sell on time. Had to get a realtor. We sold it later. So anyway, when we moved here, it was just like almost like the cards were piling up against us for lots of different things. And I literally poured money after money into trying to market it in the ways in my mind that I thought that I could and I should market. And doing your coaching business here in Australia when you came here. Yeah, exactly. Because as you, as you know, like there's two stories there. Yeah. There's the move and leaving everything behind and then starting again and going again. Yeah, totally. Because, you know, I didn't have my, my banking and my mining companies that I could bring with me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They're on the other side of the planet. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) They're out there. Right. And then the pressure of you got a little family to start providing Mm. for, and then it's, you know, should you get a job? And, you know, God, what have you brought me on this journey for if here I am here? And that's, you know, I want to be very vulnerable with you. One of the fascinating things about the coaching industry and the coaching business is that you're the person that a lot of people look up to for having their shit together. <laughs> Sorry, can I say that word? Yeah, you can. Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> you, got the, you got it figured out, right? But when you don't have it figured out, you know, I actually internalized some stuff mm. and I didn't talk to enough people and I got stressed at one point and mm. yeah, it just it manifested himself into, into a small variation of uh, the chicken pox or uh, uh, the shingles virus, physical manifestation of the stress that I didn't tell my, you know, she has a new baby and all this stuff and I wasn't really talking to other, and I think that I've, learned in that journey the power of having other men for men Mm. in your life to say hey man this shit is real this is actually what's going on and have trusted people in your corner and and other coaches but other friends that you that you have because that's one of the other journeys is just to build your whole circle again Mm. give all all your friend group back at home now you're building this and you have history with those friends from home right of course Yeah, yeah yeah Yeah. So how, how long was it that you were in Australia before it started to get a little bit of momentum for you? Yeah, probably three years. Quite a while. Yeah. So, yeah, like we had major wins. Like we had corporate contracts and things like that. But, you know, it's like one of these, you know, where you're, you're in between. Family. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So, and, you know, fortunately and, you know, thank God, you know, things are on a very different trajectory and, and different aspects. And part of it has been to do with like letting go and knowing what we're about mm. and who we're for and what we're for. And you're not going to please or be for everybody either. So, mm. yeah. I know from having a lot of go all in type conversations, cause it's not really something that you talk about very often, unless somebody asks you that direct question that, 
that yeah. I just asked you. What, what I do know about a transition like that is you discover things about yourself that you never knew. What are the one or two things that you can kind of think in your mind that you learn about yourself in a transition and times were tough, it wasn't working out the way that I thought it was and I just had to dig deep and, and to do that. What did you learn yeah. about yourself? Yeah. One of the biggest um, things that I've learned, I told you my faith earlier, is that it just, the idea of surrender. Mm. And uh, I do something called One Commitment for the Year. And actually, this year's my theme is surrender. So it's an overarching theme for my year. And the idea of surrender for me is, is so many facets. Like you think that you catch something and you know it, but you don't know it. So the idea of just, uh, for me, surrendering uh, what I thought was going to be the plan and the idea that I was going to go to it and say, okay, God, I can only fit so many of these marbles in my hands. And what if they're not the right marbles? Mm. So I'm going to let you take some if you need. And I need room for the ones that are meant to be there. And uh, I feel that uh, I think that one of my struggles was significance or just thinking that I had to hold on to some things that, that weren't mine to hold on to. And some things that maybe worked in Canada, some ideas that I wanted to push forward before it was time. So sometimes it's surrendering the time because it's, I should be doing this. But yeah, it's not time. It's not the season for it. Mm. So just learning the balance of surrender and what to go all in with. So there's some balance there. And I think that this is great, right? Because I'd imagine with your topics and what with what you've done, Rob, is is that you've had to have that boundary of saying, okay, I'm going all in, but I know clearly what I'm going all in with. Yeah. Well, I, I, did, I did a show recently on that very point where uh, the, the fella worked for years and years online trying to make money. It just didn't work for him. He made, he made money. He made a living doing it, but you know, he, he just never broke through and he never got to the other side of it. And it was always kind of a, a hand to mouth, eat what you kill type business. And it was fine. He, he could do that, but he finally, he finally broke through and he finally had this product and this service that was working gangbusters. And you know what, the, for the purpose of the story, it's completely irrelevant what it was, but when he broke through, he, he found himself working for like 19 hours a day. It was like he was trying to catch up on everything that he'd missed out on all of those years and bringing all of this money in. And then he brought some investors on and he got all of this money in and, and the, the poor guy nearly killed himself in the process. And I think you're quite right. You've got to really know it's such a beautiful description. I'm holding those marbles in my hand because yeah. there's so many, only so many that I can hold. And you've got to know when, and it's not about quitting. It's about, yeah where your attention is and, and where your focus is and you've got to know when to kind of stop. And I, I said to him on this particular call, I, I said, you know, when, when did you realize that you, you had to stop? And he goes, well, when I was in hospital and my missus was standing over me going, Hey man, you know, you better kind of like wow. relax a little bit and kind of, wow. you, you got to come back to the nine to five world and chill out. And he was like, no, I can't, I've got to get out of bed and go. And he was like straight back at it. And she's like, no, you know, you've got a, you've got a problem and you know, work is your addiction and you know, we've got the money. We're okay. Now everything's all, all good. You've got to learn to dial it back and, and find balance. Tell me about your view of balance and not going all in on everything all the time, because that, that can be the death of you. Yeah, totally, man. You know, my view on it is honestly, it's probably the most important thing that we do in our business as well is core values. Yep. Finding out what your values are. So even 10 years ago, that was the thesis I wrote for my coaching program. 
and I've just dove in. I'm actually writing a book on core values right now. So finding out what your personal values are, that's the core. Mm. And when you know what your values are, you can use those as, as filters to say, that's not right. That's not aligned or that's right. And I need to step in more. Mm. So I know that my values are spirituality and family. They're financial independence, wisdom, leadership, integrity, epic abundance and impact. So when I am aligned to those values or I have a decision to make, I just ask myself the question go to my value statement. I say, okay, well, these are the important things in my life. Is this going to infringe upon or is this going to benefit? Is this going to align to these values or not? Mm. And that's a huge starting point. And then having your purpose clearly defined is massive too. Everybody talks about the why in this, in this business, but I think the why comes as something that does evolve. So I, I actually don't agree with Simon's full uh, assessment of the why, to be honest. Mm. People that don't know, Simon Sinek. Yeah. So because I don't believe that we just have one and that's always been that. Uh, I've talked to too many people and coached too many people around the why and what it is. And I've noticed and, and people that have gone on to do amazing and great things, but their why has shifted yeah. because life shifts. And I think that there's a fluidity and a beauty to that. Now, I think personally, the values, the top ones don't shift too often for people, but some of the other ones, we raise them up and we change them. But when you talk about your actual purpose and what you're doing, uh, there's a purpose that I have for being a dad. And I say there's a purpose that I have for my career. And there's a purpose that I have as a husband and as a friend and different aspects. So I actually try to get clarity on all the different reasons for, for what I'm doing. Mm. And they all blend. Like there's no way. It's like the life wheel. It's, it's all one thing. You know, it, it does have components that, that all match up. So. Yeah, that's uh, that's beautifully said, and I I, don't, I really don't think that most people go out there saying that they're gonna go all in every single day. It's just yeah. every now and then that's something that they want to do or achieve in their life, and you know, coming back and and remembering those core values and getting alignment with those things are, are unbelievably important. I asked my daughter that very question. So for the people listening, they they know that I have a daughter. Her name's Danielle. She's twelve, about to turn thirteen, and. She's my little shadow. She's by my side constantly, and I'm so lucky to have that. I'm holding on to the last little bit of it before she turns into this emo teenager, which she keeps threatening to become, which is kind of fun. But trying to develop a child's core values and, and mm. ask her about those things is an interesting process. And it's yeah. hard because she's never thought about that before and doesn't really know how to articulate her emotions or what she wants with her life. So yeah. I, I flipped, I, tell me what you think of this. I flipped it on her and I said to her, because she would come home telling me about all this drama going on at school. And I said, we need to develop some tools for you so you can better understand what aligns to your values. And I, I gave her three rules. So she's got three rules. Always do the right thing by others and you know what the right thing is. Always yeah. tell the truth. Never, ever tell a lie no matter what. Yeah. And no matter what, always, always try and help another person. Mm. when you've got those three things and I said to her, if something feels off to you, are they telling the truth? Are they helping you? And are they doing the right thing? And inevitably one of those things will be off. No, they're lying about that. That's not true. Or no, they're definitely not helping me by saying that and trying to drag me down. And that, that gave her some really, really sensible tools that she could help to align to her thinking because she's unable, interestingly, to articulate what her core values are. Yep. And when you say, did they tell the truth? Did they help somebody? And you know, are, they, are they out there 
doing the right thing. And if one of those, so her core values are embedded in one of those things. Yeah. I know as she gets older, she'll, she's been able to lean on that as a tool emotionally for herself. And as she gets yeah. older, I know yeah. that she'll then start to identify the core values just the way you rattled them off like that. And awesome. I think that's like a really nice foundation to set for a little kid. That's awesome. And you know what? I think that's such a fantastic tool and that's great parenting right there. Um, as a, yeah, it is, you know, and you know, what, what I love about that is that you're giving them the resources Mm. and you know, as well as I do is that the minds aren't, aren't developed yet. Mm. And once they're developed, like even, even into their twenties, they won't necessarily know they might think, but here's the challenge that a lot of parents have is when I do values work with people is that people are living other people's values. Yes. They're living often the people that are closest to them. And this isn't unknown. This isn't uncommon. But, but when you find out, like I, I remember the story of, uh, of somebody who walked the, the top of this ladder and, and here he was as this doctor. And he's working away for 15 years, finally does a values assessment to identify that he was living his parents' values. Mm. And he hates being a doctor. Mm. He always wanted to be somewhere else, but he felt trapped because his parents paid for the journey and all that stuff. And he was figuring out his life and, you know, has some shame around, you know, some of the decisions he made younger at his younger age. And he had to break the news to his parents that he's quitting. <laughs> Todd, it's very you hard. Know? Yeah. But but what what happened there was a number of things as you as you note right so when with a child um, what we do is I, I think good parenting is we actually have a, a list of family values mm. and we actually got them invested into these family values some of them Nicole and I picked uh, because we think that's important and some of them we let them pick right so we eat together we have fun we serve Jesus we're kind we love you know and we include each other as well. So these values are ingrained in what we do and we're thankful and mm. they're ingrained in what we do and they've actually drawn coloring like a uh, values, uh, like what, what that means to them, like inclusivity, like what does it mean? And then what we often do is we'll just say like the kids fight or different things, right? Or they aren't including. It's like, okay, well, I just lift up. Hey, is that including guys? Mm. Oh yeah. Cause you know what I want? I have three boys, right? And we've all heard the stories of siblings that have this feud or fight over something, right? And then they have this, like, they're not talking with each other. Mm. And I'm like, no way. I don't want that. And part of that is if we instill these values, like, I'll just pick on inclusivity. If we instill this value of including each other, that I believe that at this young age, I'm developing these strengths within them so that the the boys will keep on talking and work things out. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's beautiful, beautifully said, and and I think it's so it, it just it strikes at the the very heart of what it means to go all in on something, and the philosophy of commitment and doing whatever it takes to succeed and and to break through. Tell me about what would be the top if somebody. I know there's a lot of people, and I say this on on every second or third podcast, but there's a lot of people that listen to this show, and the reason I say it frequently is because I just get the feedback via emails and mm-hmm. socials and whatnot that they're on the very edge of wanting to do something, but they can't, they can't take the leap. They can't get, they won't go all in. What would you say to somebody that was really kind of trapped? And we're going to get to your metaphor of it, you know, awaken the lion within shortly. But as it relates to going all in, how can we help them get across the line for the listeners that are, that are teetering? Yeah. Okay. Do you want to hear the real truth of it? <laughs> Absolutely. You need to get real 
Yeah, that's that's the real truth. You need to be real. You need to get real. Like, what what are the real stumbling blocks? Real stumbling blocks. Like, what are the real belief systems that you have? If you have a core belief, and we can get down to those core beliefs, right? You you do coaching, so you know some of this stuff. There's underlying beliefs that are hidden sometimes, and there's walls that we built up around those. We could do all the strategy that we like, but if you're actually hiding behind some walls and there's core beliefs that are telling you that you're not good enough, then no matter what you do, how many strategies you have, you're not going to feel like you're empowered when you start your podcast, yeah. when you start your journey, whatever it is. Mm. And you, you have to get real with where you are. You have to tell yourself the truth. And once you tell yourself the truth, you get real, you get honest, you find out who you are and what you're about. There's a valuable voice that you have. And I believe that every single person is incredibly valuable. We have so much worth. And every single person has something that they could offer someone else that's tangible, that they could be passionate about and infuse that passion with them to help them on their journey if they're in a service-based industry. But they have to know what their niche is as well. So they have to then hone in that niche of what it is. So two different things. It's beautifully said, beautifully articulated as well, and it kind of leads me into the next next bit. We've got a we've got a gift for the audience today, and you've been so kind to do that. So if you if you peek at your phone and look at the show notes to this podcast, or if you're watching this video, just scroll down and you'll see the notes there in YouTube or on Facebook uh, for the gift that Scott's got for you. It's a it's a book. Tell us what the title of the book is. It's called Awaken the Wild Lion Within. And man, that like connected to me so much on so many different levels. The, excuse me, the metaphor that that is relates to everybody. And it's not about being a a crazy entrepreneur. And I thought, I thought about it because sometimes when I'm inside of this studio here and I take a phone call, I find myself pacing around. I rarely sit at my desk when I'm taking a phone call from someone. I always put my headphones in, my phone in my pocket, and I, I walk around as I'm speaking because I feel like that that movement and that dynamic movement allows me to be dynamic in a conversation with somebody. And when I sit and flat on my ass, I feel like I'm flat on my ass in a conversation as well. Not that I, I can't do that, but I just like to get up and walk around. And, yeah. and every now and then I, I, I kind of step outside of myself when I'm doing that. And I, I think you're like a caged lion inside of this yeah. room as you're walking around doing that. And it's, it's a metaphor for life because what I've got is I've got something I'm trying to get out and I'm getting that out via the conversation that I'm having with somebody. And it, and it overlays onto so many different tangible things as a human being that yeah. you've got a lion inside of you. And it, it could be, you might be a photographer and you have incredible creativity trying to come out. Totally. You could be an artist. You could be a bartender and you have incredible creativity to want to create the most incredible cocktails people have ever tasted or a chef and producing the most incredible meals that your customers have ever tasted. And I love the metaphor that it is that everybody has that inside of them to, to get it out. And maybe you can tell us a little bit about it and, and your view of it, why you wrote it. Yeah, thanks, buddy. Wow. That's a great little intro as well. So I wrote this book a couple of years ago and I'm actually intending on, uh, I have an epic life values book, as I mentioned, that, that's on my priority list, but this is going to be a, a second edition all published in things as well with the, with the publisher. But Awaken the Wild Lion within started when I was a young dad and my son Josiah was two years old and he's 10 now and I was really wanting to take him to the zoo so he could hear a lion. And I always taught my kids what 
animal noises were. So what would you teach your kid about a lamb? Bah. Of course. And what would you teach your kid about a cat? Moo, right? Or a pig? Point going right. Yeah. So, and what would you teach your kid about a lion? Raw. Raw. Come on. Yeah, yeah. And I do this. So, so you'd repeat it back as a two-year-old would because he loves his dad and he thinks this is cool and this is fun. You have a little toy lion that they can associate with. And the zoo in Saskatoon had lions. And I remember these lions were cubs and I'd seen these cubs and they grew up. And now that they're a couple years old, I thought, you know, we're going to get zoo passes. Forget about this entry thing. We got passes. We're going to go to this place. I told my wife, we're going to take my son. And I had this ambition to take him to see the roaring lion. I really did. Naive, maybe. I don't know. I walked in. We walked up to the lion enclosure. And, of course, they have massive glass. You know, they built it for a lion. And we walk up and hear this little guy just walking back and forth, pacing, trusting his dad that we we're going to see something cool and the lions they're fast asleep <laughs> are sleeping well they're not sleeping they're like dozy yeah. and lazy and we're there and i'm like Josiah this is so cool this is the wildlife this is the this is what we were talking about here yeah they roar it's like and he'd walk back and forth and on the way there were a bunch of geese now if you're familiar with canada geese migrate they come back every year mm-hmm. and they're free <laughs> and I'm like, dude, he wanted to go to see the geese. He go back <laughs> and see the geese. My noise. <laughs> and that so bugged me. Yeah. So bugged me. This happened a few times until finally one day we're sitting at the line enclosure. And I just, it, it really bothered me so much. This whole thing, just like, I believe God just like dumps things on us. It's like, hey, Scott, this is about you. You're like that lion inside there that's caged. I'm like, whoa, there is something to this. I went and I just wrote the book in like a couple days on it. And then I've actually de- delivered a, a bunch of speeches with the, with the same topic. But, you know, the idea behind it really is, is deeper as I, as I dove in. And just like what year – I th- find this fascinating because here, you know, it's years ago and I'm in Canada and you're here and we're, we're talking about the synergy. Like you have this idea too. And I think that that's what a lot of people align to, this idea, right? that there's something that's inside of you. And I just love the idea of the lion because if you look at the lion characteristics, they're ferocious, they're unified, they're, they're one with each other and they're pride. I think that that's a huge part of it. It's not just that they're fierce, but they're actually part of it. They all have a role to play. And some would say that the lioness has the biggest role. Well, that's cool. I love that too. You know, one, one day I'll, uh, I'll uh, have, have my wife write the wild lioness within. But... <laughs> The idea behind it, too, is that why are we caught in a cage? So, you know, I don't know where you want to go with this. We could do a visualization if you want. But the idea is that we're caught in a cage and there's everything you need, just like the lion in that cage. You have all the medicine that you need. You have all the shelter that you need. You have everything in the pantry. It's full. And there's one thing that's not there, freedom. Mm. And there's only one way to get that freedom. And it's to take that risk. It's to go all in. Mm -hmm. It's to say, hey, I've got a key. And you know who has the key? You have it. You've always had it since birth you had it. And I know that because if you take this metaphor one step further, those wild lions that weren't wild, they were in a zoo, they were wild when they were younger. They'd rip apart their food. They'd roll around like they should, but they'd become domesticated. Mm -hmm. And we have internally 
speak to domesticated. And I actually want to speak to men there. If there's men listening to the in the audience here, is that men have become domesticated, and we're not wild and free. And we've listened to a lot of the society aspects of it. Maybe this is a bit controversial for some people, but but men need to get out there and absolutely get in the wild and be rugged, be manly again. Mm-hmm. I, I would uh, I would agree with that. And maybe I could kind of share my anecdote of Dude. that as well. And, and thank you for sharing that about what your you know, the passion behind it, because obviously it's a very important topic. And the metaphor is, I, I love it. I just, it just really resonates with me. It really connects with me. And, you know, every now and then I'll, I'll, uh, I work odd hours just because of what I do. Sometimes I'm interviewing somebody on the other side of the planet and in America and I'm up in the middle of the night or early morning or something like that. But I always find that uh, after I've had a, had a snooze, I'm ready to go and do a workout if it's the start of the day, if the day starts at an odd hour. And every now and then I find myself outside at you know, 4.30 in the morning and you go, you look at it and I think, well, it's pouring rain outside. I was supposed to go training today and it would be the easiest thing to crawl back in the bed. But you know, it's very, very hard and it takes a lot of effort to put your shoes on and go outside in the rain in the middle of winter, even though it's not that cold, and go and train. And I'd I just find myself doing that and I know I know in my heart that, well, you know, it's 4.30 in the morning, not a lot of people are awake unless they're on the way to work. Why would they be out training? But I don't see anybody. Mm. And I definitely don't see any other guys. I don't see any other yeah. women. I don't see anybody. And sometimes it's at 11 or 12 o'clock at night or some odd hours and I'm outside doing something outside, training, doing some sort of activity, some sort of physical activity, running up at the park, having my workout, whatever I'm doing, but there's nobody around. And every now and then I scratch my head and think, why aren't people out doing this and enjoying this? And we live in this incredibly safe place where you can do that. You've got nothing to worry about. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be attacked. Nothing's going to happen to you. It's totally fine. But people just don't get out there and and do that. And I I think the domestication of human beings is a really nice way of putting it. It's the it's that old kind of meme that the old the old soldiers kind of have out there that, you know, tough men make good times and Weak men make tough times. That's mm. what happens. And you know, mm-hmm. this is not a podcast about masculinity and being a tough Aussie bloke or anything like that. <laughs> there is definitely some element of needing to do that because you've got that lion inside of you waiting to come out. You want to offer a comment? Wow, on that man. Wow, man. You know, I love, I love your idea too because as you're talking and describing it, I was visualizing that early morning at 4.30 mm. and nobody's there. Because, yeah, you're right. Like, we have so much flexibility and choice. But in life, so many times, like, uh, people won't go out of their way to go and just do the hard things. And I think this is so valuable because, you know, this wild lion stuff relates back to everything in life. If you're a wild lion and you're all in with your marriage, you're going to have a freaking awesome marriage. Mm. You will, as a man, right? Like you're all in, I'm committed to my wife, but you know what? I'm intimate with my wife and I'm passionate with her and we have fun together and we sew into our marriage all the time. And you know what? I'm all in with my family and the kids have fun with us. And I was telling you about our little party. My 10 year old had a birthday party and one of the games we had was sloth wrestling and there's 10 kids on top of me and I had to get out of the ring, you know, with these 10 kids trying to push me and you're all in with that. You're not just like partly in. Mm. So you're all in with all of these sides. That attitude then brings you to what you're going to do with your business. Because if you're all in, in what you're committed to, what your plan is and what your purpose is, 
life is going to change. Yeah, it's a really important way of, of looking at the way to make decisions and the way to commit to things. And again, if you're listening to this podcast on your phone, just peek at the show notes and you'll see the link to the free gift right there. So please head on over, pop your email in there at Scott's website and grab that because you won't be disappointed. All right, mate, shifting gears now. Tell us about your, you, you've got a whole lot of interviews, podcasts, TV show, a whole lot of stuff going on there. Tell the, tell the audience about that for us. Hey, thanks so much. You bet. So our business is Abundance Coaching and we have a second business, which is Breakthrough Corporate Training. So the Abundance Coaching side of it is just one-on-one coaching. And we decided a good four or five years ago that we, we needed to uh, cut off the coaching side with the corporate training side just for part of its SEO, part of it's just smart business sense. And we're aligned and partnered with different corporate trainers on that side of it, which is different than our coaching business. So mm-hmm. if you want to find us on our coaching side, just abundancecoaching.com, we help people become their authentic, amazing best. And essentially our business side, it's breakthroughcorporatetraining.com.au and we coach leaders and teams to break through and achieve their potential. Beautiful, beautiful. And you do, do you do many interviews like this? Because I see quite a few on YouTube. Yes, yes, yes. So we have a TV channel as well. Just go to Abundance Coaching. You'll see our different channel. If you go to our actual resource page on Abundance Coaching, you'll see our Abundance Coaching TV as well. So yeah, I have lots of different interviews, lots of different aspects that, that we do as well on that. What's your favorite topic to talk about with other people? My favorite values. Yeah. Yeah. The topic that we talked about just uh, earlier. Yeah. Because I think the underpinning, there's so much that goes into that. Yeah, I'll give you a quick example. Like the first draft of of my values book was 350 pages. And the second draft is all about cutting away. But I don't want to cut away any of this because (laughs) there's too much good stuff. It's so deep, right? Because we've we've been infused with values from different aspects of life, from our parents to even our DNA and our situation around us, religious beliefs, societal beliefs, etc. So understanding who you are, and what matters the most to you is just, to me, the most important thing. And I love talking about it. So, and I love leading people through values discovery too. Like that, that's, that's a heap load of fun. Super fun. All right. Well, thank you again for sharing all of that information and all of the links to that are right here in the show notes. So you don't have to go too far to see that. I really appreciate you sharing that gift as well that book and make sure you grab a copy of that last question for the interview is we're bumping up against an hour here scott what what is a daily non-negotiable for you that helps you to keep bringing your a game for your for your clients and for the people that you're with every day what is it that you do every day to keep yourself sharp and focused that is absolutely not negotiable yeah that's awesome i have a morning routine that I'm, I don't miss so i'll say that with humility i missed once this year so <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, the daily routine is I, I get up and I smile. I have to. You have to force the smile sometimes too, right? So yeah. get up early. So it's often when you what your time on your alarm is. So, and then I'll drink my water. I'll do my routine. I have a routine of push-ups, sit-ups, stretches. I do a prayer every single morning. I pray. So as I mentioned, uh, faith is important to me. Uh, I like declarations. So I've written some declarations. So this is a I'm amazing creed. So I'm amazing. I was created amazing in the first place by an amazing God who has an amazing plan for my life. I'm worthy. It's a great day to be alive. So I recite my declaration. So this is my personal declaration. And that's part of my my routine. So that's a non-negotiable one when I start. And I'm making something new and non-negotiable. So this is not a, I have done it for a long time. My new non-negotiable is base camp. 
So the, the project management software. So I go to Basecamp and, and if people know project management software, uh, I'm accountable to what I'm going to do business-wise for the day. Before I start, there's a planning section and it does an automatic prompt every single day. For me, I just write down what I'm going to do for the day and that's a non-negotiable now too. Yeah, great tool. That's the exact tool that I use in my business as well to help manage the clients and projects and what I have going on as awesome. well. So, yeah, Interesting alignment, right? Huh? There we go. Wow. <laughs> awesome. Very nice. Very nice. All right, Scott. Well, thank you so much for coming on the Goal In podcast and sharing uh, your view. It's been a wide-ranging interview, mate, and I really appreciate you getting a little bit vulnerable there with, with the audience and with myself and uh, that means a lot to me. And that story of transition from Canada to Australia and then doing whatever it takes to break through is proof that it can be done. So if you're listening in and wondering if you you can do it, you absolutely can. And just rewind the show there and listen to Scott again and he'll help you get through it. And if you want to connect with him, just look at the links in the show notes and you can find him right there. Thanks again for coming on, mate. We really appreciate it. And we look forward to speaking with you soon. It's bye for now. Thanks, bud. Well, there you have it, folks. If you want to connect with Scott, please just take a peek at your phone and at the show notes to this podcast, you'll see all of the links to his website and to his socials right there. And make sure you pick up a copy of his book and the link is right to it there as well. As always, if you've got a question or a comment or an idea for the show, please reach out via the Go All In socials or you can send me an email at any time. Just visit goallin.com.au to find out more. Well, that wraps it up for the show today. So whatever it is that you're doing, whatever you're working on, get busy, get on with it and go all in. I'll see you next time. So this is how we end up. Shades of blue and gray. I feel just like an empty bottle. Spins off and I am all derailed, derailed Just Top of